Hello, this is David Leet from Leet's Culinaria with another episode of our Author's Answer series. And I have in my hand in front of me a book with perhaps, I think, the best title in the last couple of years, and it's called Damn Good Sweet. And that deserves being said again, Damn Good Sweet. And to prove that there are so many damn good sweets in the book, the title is spelled as one word. It's D-A-M-G-O-O-D-S-W-E-E-T. And we're fortunate here to have uh, the author, David Guas, who wrote the book. He's a pastry chef. He is uh, New Orleans born born and raised. There you go. And now he's living in D.C. and has his own pastry company there. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to explain to me damn good sweet. Well, you know, the title itself came from uh, an AOL account, you know, like just an email address that I created for myself many years ago. And when we wrote the proposal, actually, uh, it was out there on the market for, in my opinion, way too long. I mean, here I am, first time Arthur, and I'm like freaking out because we hadn't got any hits yet. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, calling my agent like once a week and saying, what's the deal? But um, it had been so long and I had created so many sort of proposed titles that I forgot what I truly submitted. And so I had the fortunate pleasure of Taunton Press, you know, taking a, bite, a stab at this, calling us up. And... In our first conference call, I'm sure Carolyn Mondorano from uh, Taunton was just like, oh, my God, when she got off the phone, the first thing she said was, we love the title. We love the title. She, that's all she said. And I you was couldn't like, remember what it was. I was like, what was the title again? <laughs> and she said, uh, damn good sweet. I said, oh, yes, of course. You know, it sort of played it off. But uh. Well, excellent. I think it does pay <laughs> off the book. Um, as I was saying earlier, I was taking a cab down here because the weather's kind of crummy outside, mm. and I haven't had breakfast or lunch. And going through the book, I Dang got damn good hungry. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, the book does justice. The photography is by Ellen Silverman, mm-hmm. who is a great photographer. So tell me, how do you break down the book? What are some of the themes and threads that you bring to the book? Well, it's funny because uh, I, I I think that you know, so many aspects of the book that I, I love doing, but I truly got off of just naming the, the chapters. You know, mm-hmm. you got the old school Nolans, you got, you know, the, the crust and crumbs, you got the 100 degrees in the shade and all yeah. these things that just are appropriate about New Orleans and because it's got off a lot. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, it, it's it's really uh, throughout the book, I talk a lot about these, these specific women uh, that influenced uh, not just my culinary career because, you know, I didn't really put that together then, but um, they did. They had an impact on food and, and the culture and everything that I associate with food uh, and identify with food now. And, um, you know, when I make these dishes that sort of prompt, you know, that, that they sort of inspired me to make without them ever trying to take any kind of credit for this, it really it really makes sense. And so I, they had a, a definitely a place in this book, you know, from Ampu to the Gap. I talk about The Gap a lot, and uh, that's great Aunt Patty on my mom's side, who was the Miss Apple Pie sort of gal in my life, uh, coming all the way from Tennessee. And she was uh, pretty anti-cinnamon, and so the big deal, even at the age of five and six, was you know getting out the whole nutmeg and grating this nutmeg for this wonderful apple pie. And because um, she didn't want cinnamon in it, she just she's not a not a cinnamon girl, okay. as uh, Neil would say. Okay. But uh, yeah, she's she's a purist. She she knew what she wanted. She'd been making pies that year that that way for decades. So I do a little twist on it, like the book sort of. Throughout the book, you know, I do sort of, you got the classics, the ones that we talk about, everybody mm-hmm. associates with New Orleans, but then, you know, you got the little bit of a twist. So I, I actually take this wonderful pie filling uh, and, and and wrap it in sort of a turnover type pastry and deep fry it because I grew up in New Orleans with a company called Hubig's Pies, right. uh, which is still around today, uh, thriving and producing uh, thousands and thousands of pies per day. Are they fried pies? They're fried, fried pies. pies. Yep. And they, uh, we, we call them fruit pies or ham pies. And Hubig's has been around since World War One, and, you know, the Ramsey family 
family owns and operates that uh, today. Uh, and I tell you, it was a, it was a pie that I had in my lunchbox, you know, every day going to school kind of thing. And what flavors did Maybe you like? Maybe not every day, but uh, what's that? <laughs> almost every day. Yeah, almost. What flavors did you like from Hulu? My favorite were Apple. I mean, it really was. I mean, they had, you know, it's funny because, you know, you start doing deeper research when you start writing this book and you realize how many flavors are you like, oh, I had no idea they had so many flavors, you know. <laughs> they got pineapple, they got peach, they got, um, they, I always knew they did have a chocolate pudding feeling. They had like a Bavarian style sort of vanilla pudding. Right. And they had a great lemon, sort of tart lemon curd type of filling, le- lemon pudding they'd call it. And, uh, but the fruit pies were always sort of my favorite. I mean, I loved peach, I loved cherry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chocolate was good. And then the apples sort of was definitely my go-to. But they even have a sweet potato one, which was kind of cool. Oh, great. And I had no idea. So take me through your family tree a bit with Aunt Boo and the Gap yeah. and your mom also. Sure. And what are some of the recipes associated with the women and right. uh, the book? Sure. Well, you know, Aunt Boo, well, starting with my mom. I mean, my mom will never take credit for any of sort of my, my food. And, you know, I, I do my best to sort of throw her in there as much as possible because, you know, obviously without her, I would not be here today. Uh, but, you know, for me, it was more like she was just this sort of backseat sort of elegant Southern woman, e- even though she is not from Louisiana. She spent you know, 90% of her life there. Um, but, uh, you know, from her, it was more of just, you know, the Sunday dress. And I joke about her hat being like, you know, 18 inches wide, the brim, and, you know, that she could fly away at any moment kind of thing. And that was, you know, a lot of memories for me, it being at, uh, um, the St. Louis Cathedral down in Jackson Square um, and going to Sunday uh, church uh, and, and sort of having the um, the Café du Monde and beignets and this sort of celebratory um, outcome if we were good, you know, held over our heads kind of thing in, in, in mass. So uh, she was definitely a, a big influence, uh, even though there are not a lot of uh, chicken livers and onions in that book. That was one <laughs> of my mom's favorite things to make. But, you know, did the classics, the red beans and rice and all that kind of savory foods. But um, so definitely I think for me, uh, on my mom's side, it was more of just breaking down sort of, you know, it was like, mom, I'm hungry. She's like, well, you know, what's wrong with your legs? You got any broken legs, you know, get in the kitchen and cook yourself something. So it was really sort of a, and not to the point of like, we had to do it for survival, like we weren't going to get fed, but you know, she definitely supported the independence and said, you know, get off your, you know what, and get in the kitchen and, and experiment, play around, do whatever. I mean, we were, my sister and I were throwing weird things in brownie mixes, you know, just growing up, you know, swirling peanut butter in there, throwing some, you know, raisins and some nuts or peanut, even jelly, you know, whatever we decided. So, so exploring was, was early growing up, you know, playing with sort of formulas that, you know, you know, Betty Crocker, she's got something going right. on. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> right. You pull out the box, you add some eggs, maybe some oil, and then you got brownies. But, you know, can we do something a little different with it? So, so back then you were even interested in baking. Playing with stuff, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would know, I was not the, uh, I wasn't rolling truffles at the age of nine, you okay. know, and, or pulling out Yeah, I don't see why not, but okay. Yeah, right. And then, you know, going, Ampu, definitely. Ampu was one of those sort of characters that, you know, God love her, she would come in and out of my life in, in sort of more, in, in parts of my life that your know, mom and dad sort of threw their hands up and said, you know what, we can't, we can't deal with you anymore. You got to get out of the city. Right. You know, you're driving us crazy, you know, from, you know, the whole stealing the car kind of thing that I talk about in there. That was at the age of barely at 14, you know, sneaking out the, the uh, we, we had the luxury of living in a, a luxury for me of the criminal type mind that I had uh, of living in a one level uh, house so I could sneak out of the window. There was so no, no jumping down from the second floor. There was floor. no bed sheets or anything crazy like that, but uh, just enough to get the, uh, the dad's car rolling down the driveway before I could start it up and go pick okay. up the friends and do that kind of thing. So Ampu was like the disciplinarian, the ship you off kind of thing. She was the fly swatter dis- disciplinarian, yeah. pull- pulling it off the wall and, and whacking us a few times. And where does she appear in the book? 
Any well, recipes from her? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think right off the bat, I talked about cast iron. She gave me my first cast iron pot. So right off the bat, you know, um, the sweet potato tartatan was made in a cast iron. But anytime I talk about the Steen's cane syrup, which is made in Abbeville, Louisiana, which is where she's from right. and, and resides today, uh, that that definitely uh, Ampu comes up because, um, I mean, it's one of those things you grow up going there all your life and you had no idea that, you know, this syrup was produced there, uh, even though harvest time is around this time now, October, November. So literally all the canes coming back from the fields because it's harvested and they're cooking it down and it would just permeate the town. I mean, cane syrup is so unique. It's so different than your molasses, your your uh, maple syrup, your golden, your li- Lyle's molasses. golden syrup. Yes. It's herbal. It's got wonderful sort of earthy notes. Uh, it's mild. It's floral even. I mean, you know, it's just got that sort of that earthiness that cane does, and it really comes through. And for those people above the Mason-Dixon line, right. explain to them what cane syrup is. It's, it's. I mean, it is. It's just a syrup. It's it's a lot thinner um, than a uh, – it's very, very similar to a, to a maple syrup. And comes from – uh, sugar cane. Sugar cane. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it, and Steens has been doing it for four or five generations, been around since the turn of the century. And essentially, they, um, it's the way they market or talk about it, it's open kettle, slow reduction of straight cane juice. Okay. So this cane's harvested. It's pressed. you got all the wonderful minerals and everything that go, go into that and this earthiness and this true herbalness uh, that it produces and the sweetness. And uh, it's just reduced slowly in these open kettles to make this wonderful dark syrup. And the sweet potato tartatin yes. is from... Very good, by the way. Uh, very good. Tartatin. <laughs> and uh, it comes from Ampu. Uh, it comes from Ampu. It's, uh, actually, I talk a little bit more about Uncle Alfred on that side. That uh, From Independence, Louisiana, Uncle Alfred was uh, the sweet potato king. He okay. sort of had a little farm. So I, I, I would you know, take the rakes and, and the hose and, and pull out some potatoes, and then we'd throw them in the campfire kind of thing um, while we're sh- shelling pecans and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, Ampu pops in and out. It was, um, again, going back to the uh, the cane syrup, she was a huge influence with that. And I talk about the kalas, which is the fried rice fritter, very unique, very different. Even even Louisianians and New Orleanians, sort of, that's sort of a forgotten dessert, uh, the African sort of Creole And explain women. to people what that is because it looks yeah. like callus. Yeah, yeah. Kalas is uh, C-A-L-A-S, and um, it's a very unique sort of uh, rice fritter. You make sort of this egg flour batter, and you can spice it up any which way you decide. Um, I'm sort of a, a anti-clove guy and allspice, so I've got cinnamon and nutmeg and things like that, a little vanilla, some salt. And it's uh, generally sweet batter, but you you fold in these wonderful grains of cooked rice. Now you do it differently because I do do it a little differently. Explain I mean, how you do it differently. Well, I, you know, I think that uh, in all my research, um, the the original kalas from these Creole women that used to sell them in the streets of the of the French Quarter and whatnot, in these baskets, they'd fry them up in the morning and go through the streets, calling out that they had hot kalas, and. Um, they would uh, literally overcook the rice to where it flowers. You know, the actual grain flowers, bursts, if you will, and uh, sort of becomes mushy. And uh, that's actually a common practice for making sausage down there too, the boudin, uh, boudin noir uh, or the boudin blanc. You know, mm-hmm. the boudin, the, the good Cajun boudin was made with a rice filler. But So they would flour this and overcook this rice to where it's mushy and real starchy. And that would really help to sort of bind this fritter. And so it's deep fried. And then um, I love it drenched in cane syrup. It's you just, also like it with the rice grains whole. Yes. I, I cook my rice sort of just to normal rice standards these days. I don't bust them or flour them. And um, it's, um, 
it is. It's. It, I like to sort of dry it out overnight in mm-hmm. the refrigerator. Um, that sort of helps the grains sort of separate a little bit and dry out slightly. Once you fold it back into the the batter, it it, it rehydrates. It's not like you're drying it. I mean, I'm talking about a week of of time in the refrigerator, but right. overnight, you know. Obviously, this is a dessert that came from leftovers. So, you know, you got your red beans and rice maybe on Monday, and then you've got the, the leftover rice. What do you do with it? We'll fold it into a batter and uh, make it uh, make it a, a yummy dessert. So Now, one of the things I want to talk about yeah. so people understand with the sweet potato tatatin and many of these other desserts, they're great for Thanksgiving. Oh, you now, betcha. And great for Christmas. And different. I mean, that sweet potato tatatin essentially start to finish can be prepared in 30 minutes. I mean, you're talking about making a caramel with three quarters cups of sugar, which takes, you know, if you know anything about just caramelized sugar, it's you got a small pot, three quarters of a cup of sugar is not a lot of sugar. Caramelizes within five minutes. You pull it off, you whisk in the butter, salt, vanilla, you put that into a cast iron or any kind of sort of 10 inch style pan. You slice sweet potatoes, you layer them out, store-bought puff pastry, you know, you dock it or prick it with a fork, egg wash it, it's in the oven for 25 minutes. Flat, turn it over. That's it. Invert it on the plate and it's delicious. You could even make it after you've had Thanksgiving dinner. Totally. And then pop it in the oven. Yeah, that's the other thing. This is a make-ahead. Put it in the refrigerator in the cast iron, ready to go with the dough, the dough and throw it in there when you sit down to carve the turkey. Because who the hell wants another pumpkin pie? No. I'm sorry. I, do, I don't. <laughs> I'm tired of pumpkin pie. Amen. So talk to me about dobash. Dobash. Uh, the fr- you Which know, looks like dobash. Yes, exactly. But it's dobash. dobash. Well, when you're from New Orleans, you know, you sort of... You, know, you people just... I tell you what. Don't know how to speak. We are different. Your own uh, language. <laughs> language unto yourselves. The Dobash was... Uh, who made it famous in New Orleans, there you go, is uh, is Gambino's. You know, they sort of really brought it uh, to the... And they ended up purchasing the recipe from another woman who I talk about in there. But they made it, uh, you know, the sort of New Orleans celebratory birthday-style cake. I mean, and it's a cake... You know, you don't have to wait till your birthday <laughs> to enjoy it. <laughs> God, uh, God forbid, because uh, 365 would be way too long, or 64 would be way too long to wait for the next year. But this was at every table, every house, every celebratory event. I mean, some people have even gone as far as you know, had in special order multiple tier levels of this for wedding cakes in New Orleans, just because it's that yummy. And I, you know, I. Again, this book is a lot of versatility, a lot of crossover. Right. So, like, I talk about how to make the lemon curd or a wonderful old-fashioned style chocolate pudding, and then I say, you know, use this chocolate pudding in your chocolate dobash, uh, you know, cake filling, or use the lemon curd in the, the lemon-style dobash cake. So, the dobash is funny because, you know, there's a couple things that we talk about in New Orleans being, so you order it half and half. Gambino's... Um, I didn't even realize they had a third flavor growing up. You know, it's the typical thing. You start doing research, like, oh my god, they had a caramel <laughs> flavor. You know, so you'd always, or I'd always order. My mom would always order for us the uh, the ch- chocolate lemon half and half dobash, and uh, that's exactly how you. And order explain it. what that is a half and it's half. It's literally, uh, it's a ten to twelve inch cake, um, and it's generally seven to nine layers. I cut it down for for just efficiency, and you know. You look at a nine-inch layer, you know, nine-layered cake, and you go, no, a little way daunting, exactly. Yeah, so, and again, that's about making everything approachable and inviting, uh, not just, you know, I mean, you look at the picture, you want to dive into it, but that's that's Ellen. But then you got to make sure that the ingredients match up, and it's not a long laundry list of, of things because, yes, like you said, very intimidating. So it's it, it is it's um you know literally two uh, you bake the cakes the sponges just like you'd bake any sponge so neutral style sponge mm-hmm. vanilla flavored sponge, and then once you start layering those or slicing those, you layer it, you know, ha- literally half per layer 
lemon curd chocolate pudding and then another layer of cake and repeat that till the end. Then you have your chocolate ganache and then you have your lemon uh, icing, um, which is more of a sort of that, that grocery store style icing that we know. But I do take out the shortening and add all butter and powdered sugar. But And do you ever switch where the chocolate's on the... Lemon side, the lemon. Look at the eyebrow raised, <laughs> and then the vanilla. What the, you talking about? Are you kidding me? No. Never, right? No. Strict lemon Sac- on one side. Sacrilege. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> it, there you go. I'm a New Englander. Like we do crazy things. Right. But it uh, it looks like a great cake. And um, what I think is interesting too about this is you've got a lot of these classics. You've got the buttermilk beignets. Mm-hmm. You also have the bananas Foster, the chocolate bread pudding. Talk a little bit about that because sure. that looks delicious. Well, bread pudding, you know, definitely has its place in New Orleans as it has for for centuries. It's, you know, essentially, again, going back to sort of the utilization of a leftover product, you had stale bread. What do you do with it? Well, you make pan pardu, you drench it in eggs and milk, or you make bread pudding. And and so um, bread pudding has always been on every white tablecloth restaurant in New Orleans, uh, not to mention people's homes. So it, it, it was, it's one that is beyond seasons in a sense, you know, it's, it's the double chocolate is um, the way to go. Um, it's and again going back to my style, I present a classic dessert, but I throw in the, the sort of funky caramel sauce that you've got this rich dark caramel sauce made traditionally like caramel sauces are, but spike it with a little bourbon, your favorite bourbon, whatever. I talk about Maker's Mark in there, but which is you know I'm going to use bourbon that I drink and that's what I drink and uh, but throw a handsome amount of salt in there to set it off. It helps balance the chocolate Absolutely. and then I do throw in cocoa powder to the recipe as well uh, along with solid chocolate because it gives it that added depth and flavor so that's why I get away with calling it double chocolate. And the kind of bread you use. Plus it's also a double cho- <laughs> double chocolate. Yes. I know it's salted caramel. <laughs> and so the bread that you use, brioche. Yes. Okay. Well, you, if I'm in New Orleans I'm using Leidenheimer bread. Okay. And I joke about it in there because um, Bakery's been around for eons, and one of my closest dear friends, Catherine Wan, whose family owns that bakery, you know, wouldn't have any other way. And I even say at the end, I say, you know, if you don't have Leidenheimer, use brioche. Hala works great. Uh, you know, even croissants. I've gone as far as using old uh, king cake, you know. Okay, and, yep. and I've even, you know, God forbid, I've even used like Krispy Kreme donuts, you know, whatever. You can. <laughs> that's, that's totally decadent. <laughs> oh, my it's God. It's totally decadent. Heart attack. Anyway, um, but no, if you're not in New Orleans, you can't get the Leidenheimer bread. You know, you can use any one of these sort of wonderful sort of eggy. Enriched breads. breads. Exactly, enriched breads. Thank you. But I say at the end, you know, in my funny way, I say, yeah, just don't tell your mama it's not Leidenheimer. Right. Well, most of us don't live near a Leidenheimer store. So we're, you know. (laughs) Exactly. And so you just mentioned king cake. Talk a little bit about king cake, the ceremony around it, and also your kind of history with sure, King Cake. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, well, Carnival starts uh, the 12th night, which is January 6th. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is based on the Catholic Church in, in, in Lent because it essentially, Carnival ends Fat Tuesday, right. appropriately named, uh, the day before Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent. And uh, like all good uh, Catholics in New Orleans, you know, we, 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 we go out with a bang, you know, if we're going to have to uh, <laughs> abstain from anything, which I love this, you know, this, 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 uh, I don't know, it's not an oxymoron, but just this contradiction to, to abstaining and, you know, sort of sacrifice. We go through this week of just insane eating and drinking and just celebrating life. And that's what New Orleans is, it's just celebrating life. 
life, family life, culture, uh, in any which way we know. And we know food, we know we know beverage. Uh, but um, you go all the way, and then you know, Len is like, okay, well, we don't eat meat on Friday. Okay, we're in Louisiana. We've got oysters, <laughs> we got shrimp, we got you know, yeah. fried. There's not a lot ever. of holding back. Oh my God! So I was like, oh, I gotta have fried fish on Friday. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to give it up. That's fine. So yeah, we, we're the non-meat eaters on Friday, whatever. Um, but uh, and it's always great to see you know the day after Mardi Gras, everybody's in church the, with their smudges, ashes, yeah. you know, and you're like you know bright red eyes and you're looking like you you haven't <laughs> seen a bed in, in weeks. But hey, we're at mass. Um, this uh, king cake, you know, is sort of a, a going back a little bit. You know, this was literally a royalty sort of cake, cake that were brought in by the French, and you know, it was it, the gâteau uh, was made um, it very similar, very similar to a brioche. You know, mm-hmm. it was a high egg, high fat sort of eggy, uh, rich bread. Um, and you know, whether or not there was icing put on it then, I don't know, but they were definitely decorative with jewels and coins and things like that because this was a king's cake. And um, do you use the tradition of having that? one coin or one token put inside? No, the to- now we do babies. We do these plastic babies, these little trinkets babies. <laughs> and uh, Someone chokes on a plastic exactly. baby. Exactly. And we've got all kind of wonderful colors of babies. We've got the purple, green, and gold babies. we got uh, we got pink, pale babies. we got dark babies. we got all kinds. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's babies everywhere. So you get so the we- baby in your slice, and what does that mean? That means you got to bring the king cake the next Friday. Okay. Generally, like in office buildings and settings and, ch- you know, church functions and whatever else during carnival, king cakes come every Friday. I mean, God forbid we ate a king cake every day. It'd be insane. But we um, we bring a king cake to whatever sort of event we're doing on that Friday during Carnival we, uh, those weeks. And if you get that baby, you've got to come back and, and bring the... So it's not really a, a reward of any means. It means you've got to pay for the next king yellow. cake and bring it <laughs> exactly. in. Exactly. But you know, it's funny because like just... taxed. Exactly. In, any sort of New Orleans sort of... They love to have their favorite bakery, you know. So there's like a, a sort of a underlying sort of competition about, oh, well, you know, I get mine at Gambino's or I, I get mine at McKenzie's or I, you know, I get mine at Haydell's. You know, everybody's got their go-to based on demo, generally demographics where you live, you know, what's or what you grew up with. So it's neat to see sort of the varieties. But nowadays, you know, they're stuffing them with apple filling and cream cheese and, you know, got, you know, just... Doing yeah. the New Orleans thing. <laughs> now, in Portugal, we have got a very similar thing. It's called bolo de rey, which means uh, king's cake. I will not try uh, to say that. And uh, it is extraordinarily high in eggs and egg yolks. Yes. Now, yours is not. Tell me why you chose to go more like you said, a tea cake. Yeah, it's um, it's it's more of like a cinnamon roll, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there is a, a touch of cinnamon. Uh, it's great with coffee and, and tea, obviously, um, you know, sliced thin. It's got plenty of sugar on the outside, so it's not a very sweet cake by itself. You know, we top it with the... Sort of royal icing, if you will, or glaze of powdered sugar and 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 whatnot, and then the purple, green, and gold sort of sprinkled sugars, uh, which is, uh, signify uh, power, justice, and faith, uh, which were a pretty big deal. And, and so, which color is signifying which? Uh, the purple is see now you're gonna get me. Yes, uh, no, it's not actually. It's not. No, it's uh, the purple is uh, justice, and um, the uh, gold is. Help me out there. Okay. I <laughs> have to up. read quickly I've here. On, uh, I've done this on national television. Now you got And me. now you can't get yeah. it, right? So, I really right. so we have ones, justice, though, power. Justice, power, and uh, faith. And faith. And faith, Would you would think it's the purple. It's it, um, Power was gold. Power was gold. Power was so gold. The green. And green was faith. Yes, and green purple for faith, was gold justice. for power, and purple for justice. Thank you. We finally found you it. Crack the code. Yeah, there you go. It's only your own recipe, but that's <laughs> yeah. okay. I have the same problem. Yeah, I right. blank on my recipes. 
But there was something you said earlier to me about uh, swimming holes and swimming and King <laughs> King's Cake right, and right, getting right. sick. What was that about? That was about uh, ridiculous youth. Um, it was. Um, I had, again, going back to girls in my life, I had these two gals that I swam with. I, I was a competitive swimmer from the age of four all the way to about 16 when I pretty much <laughs> decided on other things that uh, were more important to me at 16 than uh, than being a committed athlete. Um, I uh, They used to pick me up. They lived down the street, and they were sort of older than I was, so they you know obviously had licenses, driver's licenses before I did. And so they um, we were on the same team. Come home from school and essentially get picked up by, you know, 4 o'clock for 4.30 practice. We only lived uh, literally five miles away from the arena where we practiced the indoor pool. But we would always stop off at McKenzie's during Carnival. And it wasn't every day, but probably at least twice a week. And Mm -hmm. we would buy a king cake that generally would feed, you know, at least eight people in an office building or whatever. (laughs) And we would, between the three of us, um, see who could eat the most. And sometimes we'd go even as far as each getting our own king cake, which is obnoxious. And you finished your own king we, cake. Well, depending on who decided that we wanted to take the gold back or whatever or the blue ribbon, which, you know, we didn't have anything to gain from this except a lot of, uh, obviously, uh, weight or weight. just... Uh, yeah. Not even weight because you'd burn it all off at practice, but just getting very, very sick in the pool. But um, they had these wonderful, not to get too graphic, but these gutters in the pool, these things that uh, were like troughs. And oh, okay. Just, well, we can stop there. Yeah, we get the yeah. idea. So, uh, you know, if we, we needed to, we did what we have to do, but uh, it was um, ridiculous and fun, and we did it uh, pretty much every carnival season. And one of the things I like about the book is that it ends with the chapter, or very near the end, is a chapter on lanyap. Lanyaps, now, that's right. Now, explain to me, or explain to the audience, yep. what lanyaps are, what some of your favorite ones are. Well, lanyaps in New Orleans, you know, it's it's a term that's used for just uh, a gratuitous sort of, you know, a little something extra, a little send-off, mm-hmm. a little, you know, if you're in a restaurant environment, you know, the chef sent this out, it's lanyap, you know, it's on us, it's... You didn't order it, but, you know, we, we, we want to just make you feel special. It, it, it was a, a word that literally was was thrown around uh, and that's the true southern hospitality but specific to New Orleans and uh, obviously it was generally around food <laughs> uh, go figure but uh, lanyaps uh, in here you know it was one of those f- it was it was a perfect send-off end chapter you know and it was sort of like there were some remaining desserts so we didn't know where they you know do they go to old school do they where go they to kind this of and that yeah. yeah and not that they ended up but it was a it was it ended up fitting very well and you know, we do things in there that are traditional, not so traditional. The the, the chocolate turtles, which were phenomenal. They're just sort of a caramel encased, rich uh, roasted pecan that are dipped in chocolate. Gorgeous. And generally, they're completely dipped in chocolate. But um, we uh, that was again a Mackenzie's favorite. And the salted caramel was more something that you know I just have vivid memories of Cracker Jacks. You know, growing up, and it doesn't really have any connection to New Orleans. But it's this is my book, and it's right. my my story. And uh, the salted caramels were something that you know, Granny, my, my dad's side who was a native Louisianian. She hailed from a meat Louisiana. And uh, she had this sort of typical sort of purse that had no bottom. You know, just you could stick your hand in there. You could probably crawl in there. And generally there was hundreds of thousands of candy in there at all times. I don't know what she did. She'd rob a Brock's bank. I don't know what she did. But she had from peppermints to butterscotch to salt, you know, to to the caramels. They didn't have salted caramels back then. Just caramels. And so I had, and they had those Neapolitan things that were like, I don't know. Anyway, one of the Brock's signature things. But um, all these wonderful. So I said, you know, I love making salted caramels now. And I said, you know, this makes complete sense because I remember uh, chewing on uh, this the chewy caramels uh, out of Granny's purse. But uh, it's uh, 
very easy, uh, accessible. The, the small things were, the, were sort of my most favorite to produce because, um, you know, those are the kind of things that last a while around the house. You know, you make a bunch of them, you wrap them, they hold well. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's why they found their place there. All right. Well, David, thank you very much for coming. You bet. Thanks for Again, having me. Again, the book is called Damn Good Sweet. I just love saying that. <laughs> Damn Good Sweet. All one word, capital D, capital G, capital S, by David Gloss, and also Raquel Pelzel. Exactly, my writer. Also helped him with the book. Phenomenal. Thank you very much. And this is David Leet for Leet's Culinaria. This is another episode of our Author's Answer series. So tune in again soon, where we have more food, more people, more books, and more fun that will always leave you hungry for more. 